so, new venue and a great opportunity, therefore, to start a new series. So our series for the next nine weeks is called Encounter. It's going to be based in the Gospel of Luke in the New Testament. And if you have your Bibles, you're going to, we're going to be in chapter four this morning, if you want to turn there. But let me explain the series to you. Uh, let me explain the premise of it to you a little bit like this. Um, in 2012, I was at a Christian conference in North Wales, and the conference came to an end. It was the last session, and everyone's kind of packing up and about to go home, and I was about to, to do the same thing. And, and suddenly, this, frankly, rather attractive young woman appeared in front of me, introducing herself. Um, and I was a little bit taken aback. That didn't happen to me in my life very often, if ever. And um, I kind of assumed that she was sort of being friendly, and, and maybe she wanted to meet some other people. Maybe she's a bit lonely, perhaps. So I sort of introduced her to not just myself, but people around me, and, and we sort of chatted for a while, and I made sure that she could chat to the other people, and the conversation came to an end, and she kind of made her excuses, and, and off she went. And then a few seconds began to roll on, and it began to sort of dawn on me. Maybe she wasn't coming over just to be friendly to everybody, Maybe she was coming to be friendly to me. And I was starting to think, and she was pretty lovely. She was pretty beautiful. She seemed lovely. Maybe she'd come over to speak to me. I think actually she did come over to speak to Oh my goodness, have I just missed the opportunity of a lifetime? Have I just missed maybe an encounter that might have changed my life? So panic is beginning to rise. I'm trying to look around the, the, con- the, uh, the conference, which is 10 times as big as you guys are here now. Can I see her? Yeah, I can see her. She's over at a bookstore over there. <laughs> like, elbows make my way pretty rapidly over to the bookstore quite awkwardly sort of reintroduce my hi I'm that guy. very awkward anyway we got chatting again and that chat led to a coffee in London and that coffee in London led to a date and that date led to a number of dates and eventually it led to our marriage last year indeed <laughs> the point is this my encounter with Caroline that I almost missed was a life changing one Like, I now willingly go to the cinema and watch La La Land, for example. (laughs) (laughs) Genuinely. And personal encounters can be like that. They can be life-changing. Okay, and so the premise of this series is we call it Encounter. We're going to spend nine weeks looking at nine first-time encounters that people had with Jesus Christ in the Gospel of Luke. And every one, you'll see that those encounters were life-changing in the way in which they took place for the people involved. So last term, if you were here at King's Church, our main series was Ask London, which I know many of us, I think, enjoyed. And that was a series where we were kind of assessing, weren't we, the evidence for God, the credibility of the Christian faith. We were answering and uh, dealing with some pretty tough questions. Is the Christian faith even credible? Does it stand up? to the scrutiny and the biggest and the best questions and objections that our friends had that they were willing and kind enough to put to video. And so the nature of that kind of series is that it deals a lot with argument and explanation and philosophy and debate and so on. And and a series like that should be like that. But ultimately, the Christian faith is about far more than a knowledge-based understanding of God's. The claim of the Christian faith is about far more than that. It's personal. It's possible to not just know about God, but to know him personally, to encounter him, and for that to be a life-changing dynamic, either for the first time or for a fresh time. So I think this series is for all of us. 
It really is for all of us, I think. If you're here and you're exploring the Christian faith, you've been doing that for a little while perhaps, you've just re- retrying the whole church thing maybe, I think you're going to find this a great series because all of these encounters are first-time encounters. People that met Jesus for the first time and you'll see what they encountered of him. And it's a great series for those of us who are Christians because I don't know about you, it's possible to be a Christian and to kind of live the Christian life, do the activities of faith and you can find yourself asking yourself, when was the last time I actually met with God? When was the last time I had a fresh encounter with the person and the presence of God? So this is a series for all of us. I'm really looking forward to it. Luke chapter four is where we're gonna start off this morning. And I'm gonna read to you from verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And he said to them, doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, physician, heal yourself. What we've heard you do at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elijah, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman, the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. There's an awful lot going on in that passage, isn't there? Jesus is quoting lots of Old Testament texts and the mood seems to change pretty dramatically from one of delight and and intrigue to murderous fury. So let me just explain what's happened literally in this scene. Okay, so we know where we're going. So for the people who've gathered in this Jewish temple in uh, in Nazareth, they they know of Jesus because he's from Nazareth, but they haven't encountered him yet in the sense that it's only now that he's been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and he's beginning his public ministry. So for them, this is a first and indeed a fresh encounter. And initially, Jesus goes, I guess, the orthodox route to begin his public ministry. He goes to a religious service. And he takes the role of the person who would in that time have read the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament. Now in that context, in that custom, sorry, the context would have been for the person reading the scriptures, to have been stood whilst everybody else stood. 
and then custom dictated that the person reading would then sit down and would begin to preach on the passage whilst everybody else would remain standing. So, new venue, new start, opportunity for us to be a bit more biblical perhaps. Don't get too comfortable in these chairs. There's a nice little armchair out there that I've ordered in. We're going to reverse things a little bit. You can stand and I can sit. It'll be great fun for the next nine weeks. Anyway, Jesus preaches from Isaiah 61, or he reads from Isaiah 61, which is a passage that all his audience would have known really well. I don't know if you have a favorite Bible verse or a favorite chapter, but this would have been right up there for his audience. And it was the passage that predicted that one day God's servant would come to Israel and in simple terms would put everything right, would bring justice, would bring peace, the kingdom of God would come. And then Jesus sits down and they're all looking at him because it's now his moment to do the preaching and he effectively preaches a one-line sermon, which you may also think could be a welcome introduction to King Shetchir. And he says, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And they love it. They absolutely love it. The text says they spoke well of him and they marveled. And then, because of what Jesus goes on to say, he refers again to the Old Testament, basically a riot breaks out and they try and kill him. So what on earth does he go on to say? And we'll look at that um, in a moment, at why they move from loving him to hating him. But let's just for a moment, let's just see the key thing, I think, from this passage The thing is, these people stop listening to Jesus and they miss a life-changing encounter with him. And that's the, the big idea this morning. The big idea is this, that an encounter with Jesus is for anyone who will listen. In my, uh, in my first encounter with Caroline at the conference, in that first encounter, I was listening, but I wasn't really listening. I didn't really understand what was going on. And so as a result, I almost missed a life-changing encounter. But when I actually understood what was happening, what she really meant, I actually listened. I had an encounter that changed my life. An encounter with Jesus is for anyone who will listen. So, will you listen? Is the invitation this morning. Are you listening? How much do you want that encounter with Jesus Christ, either for the first time or for a fresh time this morning? I want to look at that in two steps. The challenge of listening to Jesus and the key to listening to Jesus. The challenge and the key. The challenge goes like this. Imagine you are at an airport, let's say. You're about to catch uh, a flight. You've got there in good time. So you've got time for uh, a coffee or a meal, something beforehand, and you sit down. And there's a couple next to you who are talking very animatedly in Spanish. And it turns out that you speak a bit of Spanish, so you can kind of overhear them. And you're kind of overhearing them because it sounds like they're getting the same flight as you. So you can't help but sort of overhear what they're saying. And they're talking really, really animatedly. And you think what they're saying is that your flight has been cancelled. What are the two emotions that you're probably going to experience? I reckon they are these. Doubt and offence. Doubt, because you don't know if this information is definitely credible. Is it definitely true? And also, because they're speaking Spanish, you don't know if you understand it perfectly. Doubt. An offence, because frankly, if your flight has been cancelled, you prefer to find out from official channels rather than overhearing some random conversation in Spanish. Doubt and offence. And those two things, doubt and offence, are exactly the two challenges that this congregation in this temple, in this religious service, experience. They're the two challenges that they find in listening to Jesus. Let's look at them in turn. Doubts, first of all. 
And then if you noticed in the, in the reading, the moment to which doubt crept in, the scene seemed to hinge on that. Everything was going great. Congregation were loving what Jesus was saying. And then in verse 22, it says, or someone starts to mutter, isn't, isn't this Joseph's son? And you can imagine they're kind of saying, you know, Joseph, carpenter, really poor family. In fact, Luke's gospel tells us that uh, when Mary and Joseph went to the temple when Jesus was eight days old to give a sacrifice, all they could afford was two little pigeons, the, the smallest sacrifice you could give. To be the last time to doubt, Gee, Joseph's son? He hasn't had any training from any of our rabbis. He's got, he's got no prestige, no credibility, no credentials, no pedigree. Actually, do you, do you remember when, when Mary conceived Joseph, she wasn't even married to, sorry, when Mary conceived Jesus, she wasn't even married to Joseph then, was she? I mean, is, is he even Joseph's son? Joseph's son. His doubt creeps in. And in some senses, Christianity is kind of viewed like that now in our modern Western culture. Christianity is kind of viewed as Joseph's son. A little bit backward. Not very impressive, really. Sort of prompts rolling of the eyes. It's Joseph's son. Seriously? Jesus? Christianity? World's moved on. Maybe Jesus has got interesting things to say about how to live, but, but the source of true insight into ultimate reality, the only way to God, seriously, is Joseph's son. And doubt is not something that only is a factor for those that are exploring or objecting to the Christian faith. It's also a reality for Christians. Doubt is not something that goes away when you begin and continue to follow Christ. Somebody as robust as the 19th century English preacher Charles Spurgeon said this, I do not believe there ever existed a Christian yet who did not now and then doubt his faith in Jesus. I think when a man says, I never doubt, it is quite time for us to doubt him. (coughs) When it comes to listening to Jesus, as Christians we can often experience doubt. Either in a sense of, Is anyone actually there? Is anyone actually there? Has God just gone silent? Is he actually good? Those kind of doubts. Or the kind of doubts that that more say, it's just just hard to discern what he's saying. Like, I love Jesus. I want to follow him, listen to him, serve him. I'm just not quite sure how to discern what it is that he's saying. Like, I'm not looking for an audible voice from the clouds, but I know that, that God speaks through scripture and through other people and through circumstance and so on. It's just not easy to understand what that is. Doubt. And Jesus realizes in this passage, as he always does, he discerns exactly what's going on. Immediately he realizes there is doubt in the air. And what's his response to the skepticism? Outrage? How dare you? I'm the son of God. I'm the one this passage speaks about. No. Fascinatingly, he he chooses to respond by reminding them of two stories from the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, of two people, Naaman and the widow, who doubted the credibility of what God said. I love that about Jesus. He's not afraid of people's doubts. In fact, he chooses to engage with their doubts by telling them about people who doubted. An encounter with Jesus is not for those who never doubt. An encounter with Jesus is for anyone who will listen. 
So let me just tell you that these two stories, because Jesus refers to them in a very matter-of-fact way, because he knows his congregation would have understood them. But they're stories that we don't really read that much. They're two great stories. Now, the first one you can find in, in 1 Kings chapter 17, and, and it goes like this. The, the nation of Israel and the surrounding nations were in the middle of a really serious drought and a famine. And God decides to send his prophet Elijah, not to the people of Israel, but instead to a foreign widow in a foreign place called Zarephath. And and this widow is in dire straits. She's starving, her son is starving, they're down to their last little bit of flour and oil, and she says that after they've eaten that, they're resigned to starving to death. Her situation is dire. And Elijah then says a remarkable thing. He says to her, if you give me your last bit of flour and oil, God will save you and feed you. I think it's fair to say, at that moment, that widow must have experienced some doubt as to the credibility of what God was saying through Elijah. She must have found it hard to listen. What? My last... Then there's a story of Naaman that Jesus also refers to. And you, can, you would be able to find that in 2 Kings chapter 5, where by now, Elisha is Elijah's successor as the prophet of God. And the story goes like this. Naaman was another, another foreigner, not part of the people of God at that time, didn't believe in the Bible. He was the commander-in-chief of the Syrian army. And he had everything as a result of that. He had power and prestige and strength and influence. He had everything except one thing, his health. He suffered from leprosy. Now at the time, Syria was Israel's mortal enemy, but Naaman is so desperate that he goes to his enemy, as it were. He goes to Elisha and says, any chance I could experience the healing of God. And to Naaman's amazement, Elijah gives him some pretty bizarre instructions. Elijah tells him, you can be healed. God will save you if you jump in the river Jordan seven times. At which point Naaman too would have doubted what he was being told. He would have been just as baffled as the widow was. In fact, Naaman is not just doubtful, he's downright offended. This is a man of great power, reputation, the commander-in-chief of the leading army of the day. And he's, I've got to go and jump in a dirty river seven times? The text actually tells us that he went off in a rage. Such was the offense that he experienced. And that's the second challenge of listening to Jesus. Not just doubt, but also offense. When you really examine the claims of Jesus Christ, it is quite natural at times to be offended by things that he taught. That's why we looked last, last term at some of the biggest ones in our Ask London series. But it's not only those who are exploring or who are skeptical about the Christian faith who can be offended by Jesus. It's Christians. We can be offended by Jesus for example, maybe it's just me, but have, as a Christian, have you ever sort of felt, frankly, a bit offended by God? When you're like, God, the plan is very clear. I know what needs to be done. You just need to come and bless it, but you don't seem to be doing so. Very easy also to be offended by God. And in the temple congregation in, in this account in Luke, in Luke 4, they experience enormous offense at Jesus. Why? Why are they so offended? Why do they go from intrigue, fascination, doubt, to murderous offense? Well, they had assumed that when Jesus had quoted this famous passage from Isaiah, 
saying that he was the one that was going to bring good news and, and free the oppressed and announce the kingdom of God, they had assumed he was talking about them. So they loved it. They thought, well, after all, we're, we're the good, moral, hardworking people. We're the ones here in the religious service. We obey God. And we're the ones who are oppressed and held captive by the Roman Empire. The Romans, they're the the bad people, the immoral people, the heretics, the foreigners. We're, We're the prisoners. We're kind of tacked into the ground here. We're the poor. We're the ones who God will rescue. We're the ones, was what they were feeling. And Jesus says, that's what you think. You have not understood the gospel. He basically says, let me, let me tell you how my salvation really works. And by telling these two stories, he's saying, I go like God's prophets have always gone to the Naamans and the widows of this world. Whether powerful or powerless, male or female, native or foreigner, Jesus is saying, my, an, an encounter with my saving grace is for anyone who will listen. It's not, he's saying, for those who think they've got it all together, for those who think that their morality or their good behavior has kind of frankly got God in their debt a little bit. He's saying, your ethnicity, your religiosity, your morality, your good behavior, that does not qualify you. He's saying, an encounter with me and my saving grace is for anyone who will listen. And they hated him for it. During... um, uh, most recent week of, of prayer and fasting, a couple of weeks ago, um, and a number of us were engaging in listening to God. Not because we're expecting a, an audible voice, but because we believe that God communicates to us through his word, through placing images and impressions and, and so forth in our mind's eye. And, and Anna Harris, who's known to many of us as a member here, was, was doing just that. And as she was uh, praying and listening to God, particularly about this move here to the Rose Theatre, um, she sensed that God did what he often does and just kind of placed an image in her, in her mind's eye. And the image was of an old Shakespearean theatre. And she was reminded that this theatre, the Rose Theatre, is based upon uh, the original Rose Theatre, which was around in Shakespeare's day, like the Globe Theatre. And she was reminded that in those days, in Shakespeare's day, theatres like that rose and the globe were characterised by people from every single walk of life being there. From the royalty to the peasantry and everyone in between would come to the theatre. They'd either stand here and chuck stuff and heckle or they'd sit in the posh seats up there. Everyone would be at the theatre, whereas now in our day, the theatre's a relatively middle class thing to do, I, I guess. And what Anna sensed that God was saying as she, as she listened was that by King's Church being here, people from much wider range of backgrounds and demographics and socioeconomic demographics and worldviews would begin to be amongst us much more and more and that we should expect that to be the case. And she felt God said that as that is the case and as we continue to listen to him, he will build something quite special in terms of unity and community amongst a very, very different and diverse group of people. Some of whom will have very different initial worldviews and questions and doubts and objections and so forth. So, King's Church, new venue, new opportunities. Will we be a community that welcomes people with doubts? Will we be a community that welcomes people who are offended or curious 
or unsure about the Christian faith? Will King's Church be, uh, will King's Church in the Rose be a place where anyone can come and explore, doubt, ask, object, indeed, where anyone can listen? And who knows, maybe encounter a life changing, transformative encounter with Jesus. I want us to be that kind of church. I believe God wants us to be that kind of church. And secondly, will we be, like Anna modeled to us, a community of people who make space to listen to God? <coughs> Busyness and comfort, I reckon, are one of the two of the biggest challenges to following Christ authentically in this part of the world. I don't think the police are going to come knocking the door down. But busyness and comfort can be real challenges to authentically following Christ as he intended. Will we be a people who make space to listen to God, to encounter him for who he is rather than what we expect him to do? Because an encounter with Jesus is for anyone who will listen. So, if the challenges are doubt and offense... What's the key? What's the key to listening to Jesus? Number two. You see, although the temple congregation uh, were initially delighted with what Jesus said, something meant they stopped listening and they missed an encounter with him. And although both Naaman and the widow doubted the credibility of God's voice and were frankly quite offended by it, something meant they kept listening. And they experienced an encounter and the saving grace of God. Because the widow did give, remarkably, Elijah her last bit of flour and oil in the story. Naaman did get in the river seven times. And the widow found that miraculously her oil, flour never gave out, and she was not hungry in the famine. And Naaman found that his leprosy did disappear, and he was healed. So why? Why did the religious, moral people Why did they miss an encounter with God? And why did the outcast seize it? Because Naaman and the widow, they were both outcasts in their own way. Not from Israel, foreigners. She was a poverty-stricken woman, a foreigner at that time. Could not have been further away from the people of God. He was in charge of the enemies of the people of God. And yet, why did they encounter God and the others missed it? What was the key Because Naaman and the widow both needed something that they could not earn and something they did not deserve. And that humbled them right to their core. They'd come to the end of themselves, basically. They'd come to the end of their capacity. They were prepared to say, I I can't do this. And so I'll come to God for who he is, doubtful and slightly offended though I may be. I have doubts, they said. I'm a bit offended, but I'll listen to him. I'll encounter him for who he really is. The key to listening to Jesus and encountering his grace is an attitude like that. An attitude that says, God, I need you. I can't do this on my own. Listen, if you're here this morning and you feel like you've come to the end of yourself, the end of your strength, it could well be the greatest blessing you would know. Because there's no doubt that for Naaman and the widow, for them, being at the end of their resources made them far more able to genuinely listen to God and not dismiss him. 
Whereas the, the got it all together folks, the religious service, they weren't in that place and they missed him. And because Naaman and the widow acknowledged their need, because they, they listened, they really listened, and they obeyed, they approached God for who he is, not who they thought he should be, but for who he is and what he said, and they encountered the transformative power of God. Hunger met with satisfaction. Disease met with healing. Will you listen to God this morning? Because an encounter with him is for anyone who will listen. What about you might say, well, I don't really feel at the end of myself. Life's okay. I don't really feel like the widow very much. Well, don't, don't miss who Naaman is. I already mentioned he was commander-in-chief of the army of the dominant power of the day. I think it's fair to say he would have had everything. Power, prestige, strength, influence, reputation, success. And yet, did you notice it wasn't quite enough? It didn't complete him. His leprosy was the one thing that he couldn't solve. And so he listened. And listen, listen our, our careers, our successes, our achievements, our good reputations, our homes, our relationships, our, our Kingston life, if that's the right phrase, they, they are good things. But they will not complete you. They will always, sooner or later, whether now or later, they will come up short if you're looking to them to complete you. And they certainly won't die for you. You can have the best job, best home. They won't die for you. It won't give itself to you in that sense. And if you notice at the end of the passage that we read, it all got pretty lively, to put it, put it mildly. The crowd take Jesus to the top of a hill and try and throw him off it and kill him. It's Jesus' first moment in his public ministry and already his death is a theme in the air. And three years later, Jesus did not prevent his death. Three years later, he chose to lay aside his power. Three years later, the same religious folk who hated his message, the message that an encounter with him was for anyone who would listen as opposed to anyone who would behave well. The same crowd, they did get to him in the end. And this time, Jesus allowed them not to throw him off the hill, but to throw him onto a cross and to torture him and kill him. See, the key to listening to Jesus is humility. I've, I've already alluded to that. But the key to humility is Jesus. If the key to humility is us trying hard, then we slip into the temple congregation way of doing things. The key to listening is humility, but the key to humility is Jesus. Jesus Christ has humbled himself for you. Do you see that? Do you know that? Does that melt your heart when you think of how he has already humbled himself for you? Remember, heaven's son was willing to be born as Joseph's son. That is humility. Heaven's son lived a perfect life for you. Heaven's son humbled himself all the way through to dying and agonizing death for you. My point is, he has done it all. 
It's not a case of trying hard to be humble. It's a case of looking at him. He has done all that needs to be done for anyone to approach him for the first time or for a fresh time. For you to receive mercy and love and strength and purpose for the first time or for a fresh time. When I had my uh, life-changing encounter with my now wife, did you notice something? She was the one that came to me. Bizarre, I know. <laughs> Batting above one's average is not the first, it's not the first time I heard that phrase. She was the one that came to me. She initiated. She made a way. She did, bizarrely, she did everything that needed to be done for me to encounter her and have my life changed. She did all of it. I just received it. Jesus has done it all. Everything. Everything that needs to be done. An encounter with Jesus Christ is for anyone that will listen. So will you listen? Are you listening? What do you think God is placing upon your your heart, your mind's eye? Before the, the band lead us in another time of worship, in which we will also be hopefully hearing from God in that time, I want us to lead us in a moment of prayer, silence, reflection. And maybe band, if you join me, and and um, we're going to kind of stay in the moment, if that's okay. I want to lead us in a couple of prayers. For those of us who would say, yeah, we're Christians, we're following Jesus. I want to lead us in a prayer for those of us who say, that's that's not where I'm at. I'm exploring, I'm asking, I'm doubting, I'm offended. And what I'll do is I'll just lead you in the prayer and then I'll make some silence for you to pray it yourself in in your heart, in your head. So if you're a Christian and it's a fresh encounter with Jesus Christ that you long for, fresh one, meeting with him, You can pray this as I pray. Jesus, I thank you that your death and resurrection mean I am forgiven and accepted and loved. And I thank you for that means I've come into a relationship with you. One where I'm invited to encounter you personally time and time and time again. I'm sorry for the times I failed to listen to you and miss you. Please help me to listen to you now and in the days to come to respond to you, to follow you and to encounter you afresh. And if you're not at that place, it's fine. Really, really glad that you're here. But if you're prepared to listen, and receive an encounter with Jesus for the first time, then you could, you could pray something like this in these moments. Jesus, I thank you that you are very comfortable with my doubts and my questions. I don't fully understand you, but I want to encounter you for who you are. Whether I look like I have it all together, or I'm at the end of myself, I confess I need you. Please, would you come to me? Show me what you're like. Show me your love. And help me know how to begin to listen to you.